that song, that that would be the cry of our heart. That God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And God, I stand and think just as how your angels will repeat that over and over and over again. And oftentimes we may feel like we're going to wear ourselves out. We're going to wonder what all is going to go on uh, when we do meet you face to face, to be in the presence of our Savior, to be in the presence of our Father. And God, I pray that today, God, just in the very simple way, through the reading of your word and through the, the, the exhortation, really, of your word, God, that you would speak to us and that your spirit would change us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're continuing our uh, vital signs series, Ephesians chapter 4. And if you would, again, uh, stand with me as we read through it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 6, and then we're going to be in 29 through 32. So if you want, you can follow along uh, above, as the words will be on the screen above. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, we can follow along as well. So here we go, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and this is what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life, what? Worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Jump to verse 29, and it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Go ahead and have a seat. And I want to challenge you. I want to say something to a certain extent that really honestly pains my heart. It seems nowadays it's really super easy to hate and despise the Patriots, especially after last week. But I am by, and I am by far not a fan of the Patriots, and if you are, I'm sorry, you just need to get a new team. Um, but not really, really, the reality is everybody hates the Patriots because they just find ways to win. But I want you to think about this. After the latest Super Bowl win, the Patriots really are a team for the ages, Matter of fact, I had to look this up. Just since Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have got there, they have 17 AFC East championships. Anybody know how many Chiefs AFC championships we have? Seriously, what's the total? They got one. There's AFC West, sorry. AFC West championships. How many of the Chiefs have? Anybody know? I don't either, all right? But I'm just trying to put this in perspective. I don't even know how many of the – Lauren knows. He said two, all right? I don't even know how many the Broncos have, but it's not 17 since Tom Brady got there. Since 2001, the Patriots have won the AFC East 17 of the 18 years. That's unheard of. On top of that, they have nine AFC championships, and they have six Super Bowl victories. Now, that absolutely destroys any sort of confidence I have to say the Broncos are the best team in the AFC, because they obviously aren't. But I want you to think about this. The team always seems to pull together. Matter of fact, every year I'm like, this is the year the Patriots are going to be terrible. 
And every year, it doesn't seem to be that way. Every year, I'm like, oh, they got rid of all of these people. And every year, somehow, they find a way to win. And I want you to think about this now, because this isn't about the Patriots. Because trust me, this pains me to even talk about the Patriots being good. But if the Patriots can find a way to put it together every year, there has to be something about the system with which they operate in because the people have changed, but yet the Patriots continue to win. Yeah, they've got Brady, that's the same. Yeah, they got Belichick, that's the same. But the reality is this, a team is only as strong as it's what? Weakest link. A team is only as good as it is to put everything else aside. See, the team seems to pull it out regardless of the strengths, regardless of the people, regardless of the mentality that everybody else has. They decide or they have worked together to pull things out, to do what it takes to be a good team. And we always say this, teamwork makes the dream work. But the reality is this, as we talk through this idea of being a team in the church, I want you to think about what it means to guard the unity of the team, to guard the unity of the body and the unity of the church, because here's the reality. Disunity and conflict not only destroys the greatest families, not only does it destroy the greatest teams or the greatest nations, but disunity and conflict can destroy churches as well. And so as we dig in and look at this, I want you to see what's going on. In today's scripture, Paul really brings out the fact that the church is supposed to be united as one. Now, we all know that it's made up of people. The church is people. The church is a group of people. Everybody has different ideas, different thoughts, different passions, different abilities, different loves. Matter of fact, when I brought up football, some of you were probably just like, oh, great, another sports illustration. Because you could care less. You never watch sports. You don't even really care about sports. If I threw out names of people, you'd be like, like my wife when we ran into Marcus Allen in the airport. I'm like, that's Marcus Allen. And she's like, who? It's like, what? How do you not know who Marcus Allen is? Right? <laughs> All right? But here's, here's the reality. In, in this idea or what, what's going on in today's scripture, Paul brings out the fact that the church is supposed to be one. We're supposed to be unified. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we have the same gifts, the same talents, the same desires and skills. In many respects, we're called to be unified. And at the same time, we celebrate our diversity, don't we? Because I, I told Ethan, a matter of fact, I leaned over right before the last song. I said, hey, by the way, you're on stage next week. You're preaching. And he went, no, I'm not. And I was like, yeah. No. Well, yeah. You just took your spiritual gifts test last week that said you were gifted at preaching and teaching. And he's like, no. I'm not getting up and preaching. All right? For you, if I said, hey, I need you to get up and preach, you'd probably freak out and be like, uh-uh. Not, you're not getting them on the stage. I'm not going to get up there to read, let alone preach or teach. But I want you to think about how this plays out because Paul, in the book of Ephesians, more than in any of Paul's letters, brings up this idea. Matter of fact, to the point of 18 times, 
Paul stresses the importance of unity and that we share the same faith. So we share the same faith in Christ. We work towards unity. Why? Because we're all different. And so when we think about guarding the unity, a vital sign in the church is this, that we guard the unity of what we stand for, that we are united around the purpose that God created us for, that we're united around what God wants us to do, but we all have different gifts, different abilities, different talents. And matter of fact, we're not even going to really go in that realm this week. We're going to talk about that next week. But I want you to think about how you and I can work to guard the unity of the church. We have to work towards that. See, our goal as a church is to be a team that works towards the common goal, realizing that we all have callings that may contain different responsibilities. For some of you, you love, love dearly to serve. And you want to be the behind the scenes person. You don't want to be out front. You're going to be the one who wants to do that. And listen, that's a great thing. As a matter of fact, Psalm 133 says this, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. See, when we live together in unity, there's something that happens. It's a strengthening of the team. And matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. A healthy church must be united around our purpose, each fulfilling our calling in Christ and guarding the unity of the team. All right? So a healthy church must be united around our purpose, each of us fulfilling our calling in Christ and guarding the unity of the team. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So here's the question today. How do we guard the unity of the church? How do I guard in, in myself, in my own life, how do I guard the unity of the church or unity in the church? Because that's what we need. We have to guard the unity of the church. Number one is this. Listen to what he says. Number one is I got to fulfill my calling. It is my responsibility to fulfill the calling that God has placed on my life. So I fulfill my calling. Listen again to what he says in verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord. Who is Paul? Where is he? He just answered that question. Where is he? He's in prison, right? So as a prisoner of the Lord, he's, he's setting up. Matter of fact, if you're in prison, in reality, where are you at? Or in what state are you? In a lonely state. He's in prison while other people are out. And Paul's writing this letter to the, the, the people at the church at Ephesus. And he says, as a prisoner of the Lord. In other words, I know what it's to be to be alone to be on my own, to be by myself, to not have the bond of other believers around me. I know what it is to live outside the walls of the church. I know what it is to live outside the relational connection I have with everybody else. So as a prisoner, he says, I urge you. Matter of fact, in junior high, I remember they they would do this. Maybe it was a couple times during my junior high years. But anybody else remember when they brought the prisoners in to speak? Anybody else have that? Okay, so we had assemblies where they brought prisoners in to speak. Matter of fact, one of the prisoners they brought in had killed his best friend with a ball-peen hammer. I remember the story, and it's like, and they do this maybe as like a scared straight, you know, the story, like to tell you what happens, what life was like in prison, how they experienced all this stuff. That was an assembly we had in junior high. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, these guys are messed up. But a prisoner can speak to what he knows. And Paul is sitting back knowing what it means to live a lonely, isolated life to a certain extent as a prisoner. So he says, as a prisoner, in other words, as somebody who has experienced what's going on, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. If I urge somebody to do something, what in reality am I doing? 
What am I trying to do? I'm trying to convince them. Urge, an urge idea is really to try earnestly or persistently to persuade someone to do something. So Paul is trying to persuade them. And what's he trying to persuade them to do? To live a life worthy of the calling. In other words, I have to fulfill the calling that God has placed on my life. See, Paul knew what it meant to be alone. Paul knew the strength that comes as a result of the team. And so Paul understood what was going on. And so Paul comes out to the church at Ephesus and he says, hey, look, here's what you need to do. In order to guard the unity of the church, you've got to fulfill your calling. We're united around a purpose, but all of us are called to do things. Not everybody's called the pastor. Not everybody's called to be a missionary overseas, but you are called to be on mission where you're at. Matter of fact, I said it last week, and you're going to hear this consistently, but every member should be on mission. Every member is a missionary where you're at. Your mission field just is different. Your mission field may be at a plant. It may be at a factory. It may be at FedEx. It may be at, you know, an AC place. It may be as a teacher. It may be whatever your job is. Your mission field is your very even own neighborhood. So I got to fulfill my calling. I'm supposed to do what God has called me to do. Matter of fact, when God called you, he saved you and he gave you the Holy Spirit. So as a prisoner for the Lord, then Paul is literally trying to initiate or persuade us to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. As a result of our faith in Christ, we receive this calling. And so he didn't make it that everybody has the same gifts, thankfully, right? Otherwise, we'd be really bored. The ladies did a painting party yesterday. I don't know what you call it that. I'll call it painting party. And, and what I saw is that it took an individual to kind of teach and train some of them. If I was to paint, and matter of fact, Darren and I talked about this yesterday. Like, my brain does not function that way. I see Darren and Lou have posted some paintings and stuff, and I'm like, man, that's so cool. Mine would be a mess. Matter of fact, I decided, as a result of watching HGTV, my wife will remember this, we had remodeled our bathroom down in Springfield, and I thought, well, I'll go get a canvas, and I'll do what HGTV did, HGTV did, and I'll get all these spray paint cans, and I'm going to make my own canvas paint job, and it was brutal. It was awful, to the point where it's gone, it's in the trash, it's out, because I'm not an artist. God did not make that type of thing inside of me. And maybe art is learned to a certain extent, but I'm just not the guy. Like when I see something, I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. But I would have never come up with that idea. I never would have come up with that thought. That's all right. He gave each one of us unique skill sets, loves, passions, gifts, and abilities. And again, we'll talk about that. But we want to fulfill our calling to guard the unity of church. And listen to what he says. Here's how we guard it. Number one, that we are completely humble. What's humility? Nobody ever says, and we've, we've, I've mentioned this before, but nobody ever says humility is the greatest characteristic I love about myself. Humility is something somebody else really gives to you. When they say, you know what, this person doesn't brag on themselves. This person is really a great leader. They're building you up. It's not you walking around going, well, I'm the best leader ever. So he says, literally, fulfill your calling, number one, by being humble. You may look at others better than yourselves which is what scripture says. You may evaluate things differently, but humility sees our lives as a gift from God and it builds others up and allows others to praise us, not us to praise ourselves. 
So as we build each other up, then others will build us up or praise us, not us bragging on ourselves. So that's humility, number one. So I fulfill my calling with humility. Number two, I fulfill my calling with gentleness, all right? When I think about, go ahead and flip back to the first slide. Sorry, Louisa, throwing you off. Number one is still fulfill my calling, but we're going to do it with humility. We're going to do it with gentleness, all right? What does gentle mean? I was thinking about things like, you ever heard the, the story, the gentle giant type things? There's just the softness, there's a meekness. As a matter of fact, that's the word that comes across. It's this idea of strength under control. In other words, I've learned to control how strong I am my, through meekness, meekness being a condition of the mind and the heart, which demonstrates gentleness, not because you're weak, but because there's a compassion there that comes out of your strength. And so we fulfill our calling with humbleness, with gentleness. Listen to again what he says. Also being patient. And this is the hardest one for me to work on. I am not a person of patience. Whether that's standing in the line in a grocery store or sitting in my car, I have no patience. Patience is, yeah, I'll just say that. I have to work on patience because I am not a patient person. But listen to what he says. Fulfill your calling with complete humility, being gentle, being patient, and listen to what it says, bearing with one another in love. See, patience means having a long fuse in a short fuse situation or in, a, in, in situations where you may have it, bearing with one another in love. So this idea of fulfilling my calling comes out with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And when you think about bearing with one another in love, I want you to think about this. Do you put up with each other in love? And what love is carried out Love for God first and foremost, but love for your neighbor as yourself. In order to guard the unity of the church, then I have to fulfill my calling. Bearing with one another in love. Now, I don't see a lot of conflict. I don't see much or if any conflict at all in our church. But what I do see is in churches all around the United States, I'll even say churches here that I'm trying to work with in certain situations and settings, is that that has overtaken everything. There's not a spirit of unity, but a spirit of division. And when division sets in in the church, it's only a matter of time before the church dies. So that's why we bring up this idea of a vital sign. The vital sign is important that there is unity within the church, realizing, listen, that we're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different abilities. We all have different likes. We all have different characteristics. We all have different callings to a certain extent. But am I fulfilling my calling to, to, to carry out the mission of the church? That's the idea. That's how we guard the unity, that we fulfill my calling. Number two is this. How do we guard the unity of the church? We labor toward unity in purpose. All right? We labor toward unity and purpose. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the what? Unity of the... You can cheat. It's in your Bible. What? Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So I want to labor toward unity and purpose. I want to labor towards keeping unity of the Spirit. If he says make every effort... Do you give every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? 
a lot of times in churches, what we end up allowing happen, what we end up even allowing happen in our own lives is we drive towards a selfishness. Well, I don't like this, so I'm going to kind of throw a fit, or I'm going to talk about it, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing instead of making an effort, making every effort to labor, all right, to labor toward unity and purpose. So as I labor towards unity and purpose, that's literally what we're going to work towards. Paul calls us to see the importance of the unity in the church. There's a reality that takes place. Unity, just as we said teamwork makes the dream work, unity in reality is what makes the church function properly. When we're unified around the purpose of the church, the very reason the church exists, and we function in that understanding it, understanding the goal of the church, understanding the mission and the vision of the church, then as we labor towards this, we work towards unity in the Spirit. Make every effort. I always think about this. If I give everything I have, I am making every effort. Do we give everything we have, everything in our power to keep the unity within the body of Christ around or under the leadership of the Spirit? See, without unity, the church never reaches greatness. And so the question, I think, would be this. Is there maybe in some way, shape, or form, some form of disunity in my heart as a result, not necessarily of something that's unbiblical, but as something that's just selfish in my heart? So I have to guard the unity of the church, working towards what's best for the body rather than what's just best for one individual person or one individual part. See, the reality is this. Tom Brady would make a terrible linebacker. I mean, could you imagine it? Hey, Tom, you know what? We know you're really gifted as a quarterback, but we're going to put you at linebacker today. What? Why did you do that? Well, we just thought you'd be better out there. Well, that, that doesn't work for me because that's not unity for the team. I'm, I'm gifted in this way. I'm going to work towards this. Rob Gronkowski would be a terrible quarterback. He just would. He couldn't run worth if his life depended on it. He probably couldn't even throw the ball. I don't know. He can spike it, but that's about it. But Brady would make a terrible quarterback. And I want you to think about that. When I labor towards unity, I fulfill my role in what's going on. When I fulfill my role and my calling, then we work together towards unity and purpose. Matter of fact, we're going to line up with this last thing, but listen to what he says. When we work towards or labor toward unity and purpose, there's going to be seven things. They're not on the screen, but I want you to think about this. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that everybody has to be the same. It doesn't even mean conformity. Okay, Unity means oneness of purpose and direction. We're moving in the same direction. And here's the direction that he literally lays out. There is one body. What's he saying? There's one church. There is one body of Christ. That's called the church, the the massive worldwide church in that reality. What we see that then is that the church is the body of Christ, the body of believers, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is, death, burial, and resurrection was good for the forgiveness of sins and for their eternal life for their relationship with them. So there's one body and there's one spirit. What spirit is that? That's the Holy Spirit. And you get that. And I love this reading of Scripture because you have to understand. There are a number of things, and I'm not saying they're not Christians, 
All right? But there are a number of churches that have taught that you have to have a baptism of the Spirit in order to receive the Holy Spirit so that you could then speak in tongues. The reality is you have one Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. That when Jesus enters into your life, when you make Jesus Lord of all, that you now have the Holy Spirit and you have everything you've ever needed. Why? Because the Spirit is with you. That you are in Christ and Christ is now with you and the Holy Spirit is now with you as well. So we're one body, we're one team, we're one church and united we stand, divided we fall. We have one Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells in every believer. We have one hope. What's that hope? The common hope that in our future with God, we have a confidence that began when God called us out of darkness into light, that when we are absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord. That's our hope, that we have a relationship with Christ, and as a result of that relationship with Christ, we have a relationship with the Father. Listen to what happens in verse 5. We have one Lord. That means one master. Let me ask you that question. Do you have one master? Do you have many things mastering you? You know this old statement, master of all, what? Master of all, slave to none. Well, the reality should be you have one master and you're a slave to that master. And that master should be Jesus Christ. So we have one Lord. Matter of fact, this opens up a door for where Paul is literally saying there is no other option. A lot of people will say, well, there's many ways to to Christ. There's all kinds of roads lead to heaven, but the reality is there's only one way. There's one Lord. And Paul says you have to be united around this, that not all religions lead to a single spot. That only Jesus leads you to that point. Matter of fact, there's a reality in this, that if God created everything through his spoken word, and that spoken word is Jesus, and according to Colossians chapter 1, he's the image of the invisible God. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. If Jesus is the only way, which he claimed to be the only way in John chapter 14, verse 6, then that means that everything else is an addition by a man-made religious attempt. So listen again to what he says. We're united around this, that our labor and our labor towards unity and purpose, we understand that Jesus claims that there is only one way. There is one Lord. Listen, there is one faith and there is one baptism. What is he saying? There's one master. That's Jesus. There is one faith and that is that I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ because apart from my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is no other hope. Salvation comes by no other name other than Jesus Christ. So there's one faith or one Lord, one faith and one baptism. Why do we say one baptism? This whole idea is this is an outward symbol of an inward change or an inward reality that identifies us with Christ. There's nothing magical. I, was, I say this over and over and over again. There's nothing magical about that water. It's not blessed. It's not holy. It's not like we do some big ritual back there that we make this water that's different. It's independence water. If you drink it in, on Monday morning, it's the same water. Well, not really the same water because you drink water, but it's the same water. It's come from the same spot. So it's one baptism. It's our faith and trust in Christ that we live out, that we show as a result of baptism. Baptism is just simply showing what goes on. And then the last thing that he says is this, that we, as we labor toward unity, we labor around these things, that there's one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, 
and in all. You know, I'll just say this as a, as a person who, I, I understand where our government's going, but you realize that the government can't keep God out of stuff. As hard as they try, as difficult as they want to make it. What does that just say right there? There is one God and Father of all who's overall. That means he sees over everything. He rules over every king, every kingdom, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It says that he is over all. He is through all. In other words, he is the one who works through those individuals. He even works through the lives of evil people. He may show you something great as a result of somebody doing something evil. He may show you the need for salvation as a result of somebody doing something you don't like. And then it says that he is in all. In other words, God exists because God created everything. Well, I say that. God exists and God created everything. Let me clarify that because that kind of comes off differently. So this is all what we're united around. We labor towards unity and purpose. Why? Because we realize that Jesus is the only way. Realize that Jesus is the one who paid the price that we can't pay. And then the last thing I want you to see, and I want to, I want to give you this quote because I think this is important. Unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. Unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. We're not unified around things that don't matter. We're united around the greatest story ever told. We're united around the good news of Jesus Christ. All of that points to Jesus. All of that. The baptism, the faith, one Lord, one hope, one spirit, it's all pointing us right to Jesus And then the last thing, how do we guard the unity of the church? And we jump to verses 29 through 32, and I want you to say just very simply with this, that I have to learn to guard my tongue. While it may seem as a big deal, listen to what happens. Whoever would love life and see good days, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. See, here's what I believe that one of the things that we have to understand, as a matter of fact, a lot of these, if you haven't realized, are, are what we would call our core statements, the commitment that as members we ask people to commit to when you become a member. It's not meaning that you're going to live it perfectly. It's understanding that we've got to walk through. We have to walk with forgiveness. But listen to what he says in verses 29. I have to learn to guard my tongue. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What happens when you gossip? Number one is this. It's not wholesome talk. It's unwholesome talk. You're trying to slander or take somebody out. You're trying to degrade or demean them. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Rather, let wholesome talk come out of your mouths. But listen, only what is helpful for building others up. Here's the question you can always ask. If I say this, am I building somebody up or am I tearing somebody down? Because if I'm tearing somebody down, I probably shouldn't be saying it. And then listen to what he says again. According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, the reality is when I talk good about somebody else to someone else, Not only does it benefit the person I'm talking about, but it benefits the person I'm talking to. So if I'm having a conversation with my wife and I start talking bad about somebody else 
or let's even just say this. Let's say I have a conversation with somebody in the church, and I'm talking bad about somebody else. They may be thinking, well, wait a second. If they're going to talk bad about me or this person, they're going to talk bad about me. But in reality, listen to what happens here. When I talk wholesome talk to somebody else about somebody else, it benefits the listener and it's going to benefit the person I'm talking about. So do I use my words to encourage? Do I use my words to build up? And then listen to verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so he says, I've got to guard the mouth. And then this is how I also do it. I get rid of all bitterness. I get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And instead, I be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Or in, in Christ God forgave you. See, here's the reality. Here's the struggle. Here's the big picture, I would say, to a certain extent, in guarding my own tongue, is that gossip stops at a wise person's ears. You ever thought about that? Gossip stops at a wise person's ears. In other words, when somebody says something, you have a choice to listen to it and respond or to just let it go. Matter of fact, I would even say to a point, hey, we probably shouldn't be talking about this. And so gossip stops at that point. One of the biggest downfalls in our society, matter of fact, in the church at times, can be the use of the tongue. Matter of fact, it's not easy, all right? I, that's why I say we have to work on guarding this. I have to learn to guard my tongue. Because you know what's the easiest thing to do? It's a lot harder to say positive things about people than it is negative. Usually we tend to go to where? We go to where they offend us. We go to where they said. Matter of fact, sometimes, let's be honest, we overread, especially in today's culture of social media, because we see how things are typed out, and we can't feel feeling, and we can't feel emotion, and we don't even see their lips and see their actions, that sometimes words come across very calloused, very hurtful. And whether you like it or not, once it's said on social media, I mean, can you imagine? I'm just trying to think through this, and I'm not removing anybody from anything that's happened in the past. But think about everything that's gone on just in the life of, of, of the state of Virginia over the last couple of weeks with the governor, okay? He's been held accountable for something that may or may not be right or wrong, if it was him or him not. I'm not trying to make any excuse. But think about this. Everything you put on social media is going to be brought up later. What happens 30 years down the road? Think about this as a teenager. Think about this as somebody who's in your young 20s or mid-20s or 30s. What happens 30 years down the road? Facebook's beautiful. I love the memories that come up. But there's every now and then my memories will come up and bring up my old posts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did I really post that? I can't believe I, you know, there were things that I posted that I should have never posted. Might have been true. But they were harsh. Why? Because they didn't build somebody up. They were tearing somebody down. And so what I have to do in order to guard the unity of the church is I have to learn to guard my tongue. And the hard thing about that is this. In the book of James, it says that the tongue is like a spark that starts a fire in a forest. And sometimes you can't control that because once it gets started, it's gone. 
Matter of fact, the minute, and I said this before, I think, in our, in our word series, but the minute sometimes words have come out, I've wished in some way there was a lasso for sound. Pull that back before it hits the person's ears. Because I've said something and then went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I can't believe I said it. And so listen, nobody is perfect in this. But what I want to challenge us as a church is that we guard ourselves and we guard the church by guarding our tongue. You know, in, in the Navy and in the military, you have to learn to stand watch um, every fifth day, and it depended on the size of the ship and stuff like that. But on an aircraft carrier, every fifth day was what you called your duty day. Um, and sometimes you went uh, four days when we were overseas. So every fourth day, you stood duty. You stayed on the ship. There were all kinds of extra things you had to do, but you also had to stand watch. Sometimes it would be four hours. Sometimes it might be eight. You might stand two four-hour shifts, and you're your, your goal is to literally guard the ship. You're controlling who comes in and or who gets on and who gets off the ship. They would have to come on board. They'd say, request permission to come aboard. They'd salute. They'd hold their ID out. You inspect their ID. You inspect what they're wearing. Um, there were rules. And some people don't think about this, but you had a, a, a dress code. You couldn't leave the ship a certain way. And you couldn't come back on the ship a certain way. So there were rules and expectations and stuff, but we were guarding the unity of the ship. We were guarding the ship. There were people who were putting their lives in our hands to make sure that we didn't allow somebody on the ship. And in the same way, you have to guard your tongue. You have to watch. Watch what you take in. Watch what you allow into your life because what goes in is also what comes out. And so I have to learn to guard my tongue, learn to stand watch. I'll even literally say that, to stand watch over your tongue. Because a lot of times, the tongue is the worst thing to try and control. So, anyone who will gossip to you will gossip about you. And we've heard that before. You've probably heard it said. As a matter of fact, I, I found this and I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's easier to dam a river than to stop a gossip. Damn a river is pretty daggum hard. And stopping a gossip is even harder. See, gossip creates issues. It creates problems. It creates struggles. It creates disunity. So here's just the simple thing. And like I said, I don't see much of this. I don't hear a lot of this. I think we've done a good job, but it's always something to be on guard against because it's very easy to give ourselves over because our tongues and everybody who's married or everybody who's grown up and said something to a parent and you're not married yet, you understand that sometimes the very things that come out of your mouth, you're standing there going, oh, I can't believe I just said that. Or maybe you said it and you're like, I'm glad I said it. And a day later, you're like, oh, I regret saying that. Because you're now reaping the consequences of a broken friendship, mistrust, or abuse as a result of it. And so I believe wholeheartedly that it is our job, it is our responsibility to guard the unity of the church. Listen, this is not in some way, shape, or form, and I hope you hear me out on this, is not some way, shape, or form to control people. It's not. It's letting the Spirit control us. It's not a way for the church to control what goes on or the pastor to be the 
evil dictator that's going to control what I say or can't say and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just guarding the unity of the church to protect the spirit of peace that God talks about here or Paul talks about here in verse 4. That's our goal. That's our idea. That's our desire. Unity is not always easy. But I believe wholeheartedly that God says it's worth it, that we can be greater united together than we can ever be divided on our own and apart. I know I hate to use the Patriots as an example, but I believe that the Patriots have understood what it means. I can't stand when Bill Belichick gives an interview. But the funny thing is, I don't know that I've ever heard a negative word from Bill Belichick about his team. You'll, you'll watch, you watch the reporters and they'll try and dig and pull and tug to try and get something out of Bill Belichick that's negative. And he'll just say, look, we got to go back to work. I, I think it's ironic. He knows there's a problem. He could call out a quarterback or a wide receiver or a linebacker. He could call out the defense or the special teams. And he says, look, we just got to go back to work. And I hate it. I deep down hate it because I'm like, dude, you got to throw somebody under the bus. You got to take responsibility, give the news what they need. And yet at the same time, I'm like, he knows what he's got to do. He's got to keep his team unified. He's got to focus and he understands, look, we got to go back to work. And so there may be things here that stood out today that we say, hey, you know, that's my struggle. And I think the reality is this, that we got to go back to work, that I have to go to work. That I work towards watching my tongue as a pastor. That I work towards guarding the unity of the church by fulfilling my calling and by working towards that. And so I just want to encourage you with that. That a church that realizes and understands that guarding the unity of the church is important so that we can move forward. So that we can stay focused on what God wants to do through us. And I just want to encourage you that as you pray this week that God would guard your heart, that he would guard your tongue, that in the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of the struggles the church may face in the future, in the midst of what may happen in our daily lives, that we guard the unity of the church, that we don't seek out to destroy somebody else, but we learn to forgive each other just as Christ forgave us first and foremost. So I want to encourage you with that. We're going to close with this song and you'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the peace that we can have through your spirit. We thank you for the fact that you have brought people from all different walks of life, people from different struggles, with different circumstances, with different families. God, you have raised them up. You have called them. You've given them abilities. You've given them talents and passions and purposes, and we thank you for that. God, we know that unity does not mean conformity. Unity does not even mean uniformity. We don't all have to look the same, act the same, but God, we want to be obedient to what you've called us to do, to be united around the gospel, to be united around Jesus first and foremost. So God, I pray that you would guard our hearts, that we would guard our mouths and the the words that come out, that God, we would live with purpose, with passion, and we would fulfill our calling. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.